Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Send It with Steph. I'm Steph Fleckenstein, your host, and today I have Brody Seeker as my guest. He is another Whistler local who I grew up with, and he has really made a name for himself in recent years on the World Cup circuit as a speed skier. He also has a kind of unique story, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say because I had the best time interviewing him. Without further ado, here is Brody Seeger. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Brody, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just uh, trying to maximize my little bit of downtime between Vangen and Kitts. Thank God. So you decided to talk to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, clearly I'm not, uh, I'm not maximizing my, my rest. I got this huge interview to do. I'm all stressed out about it. Huge. Um, (laughs) Kidsville starts tomorrow and then is that the last world cup before the Olympics theoretically? Yes, it is. But uh, our qualification for the Olympics closed after, actually, I think today is, yeah, today's 18th. I think today's the official closing day. Or, well, I mean, technically, after as soon as Vangen was done, that was the last qualifying race. Um, so that uh, that is done and dusted, but uh, we still got, obviously, a pretty big week to focus on uh, <laughs> before going to the Olympics. <laughs> Nah, Kiss feels an easy hill, I hear. It's going to be chill. It's going to be chill. Yeah. <laughs> so you are from Whistler. I grew up skiing with you and your brother. But what, how did the, like, your process go kind of going from Whistler where, I mean, they have a great race program, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like a racing Mecca because of all the snow. <laughs> but do you think that, that was kind of part of what helped develop you, like the kind of, I don't know, free ski mentality as well as racing. Yeah, it's definitely different out there. Um, you know, if you just look at the difference between the West and the East, I think that's uh, one of the main things. We don't quite have that, um, those, those deep roots in ski racing, whereas out there it's just the main thing you do. And um, yeah, for sure, I think that played uh, a pretty big role in my, my pathway. Um, I know, I mean, I, 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 for those who don't know, I, I came from a family that didn't really have much to do with ski racing. Like both my parents were, um, avid skiers, but, uh, didn't really, didn't have any racing background, didn't really know much about it. And we just started in the, uh, in the ski school program at Whistler. Um, and at back in the day that, that transitioned into J4, um, which was where you start to kind of get a little bit, they're supposed to give you a taste of everything you do you know, you do drills, you do big mountain skiing, you do a little bit of skiing in courses and, and not racing, but just kind of getting exposed to that. Um, and then that's the age where you decide at like 10 years old, I think, whether you're going to go into racing or into free style or, you know, just stop altogether. Um, and at that point, <laughs> what I like to do the most was, was to just ski big mountain. I mean, we had this little group of of rippers um and uh and drew hetherington was our coach and he was he was an extremely canadian guide and um 
big mountain skier himself and he just took us ripping around the peak chairs skiing pal hitting cliffs we're going off we do every every little drop and line on the on the whole upper mountain it was awesome it was so much fun um and that's definitely what i what i fell in love with first and um it wasn't until after that those those couple years in j4 that it was time to move on and figure out what was next and they kind of encourage you to go into the Worcester mountain ski club program and, and at least try racing. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, they say it's, it's good for your, your, just your general development as a skier. Um, and so that's what I did. We, we have some, my, my mom has some cousins who, who did some racing when they were younger as well. And they were like, Oh yeah, it's great. You know, you should definitely put the kids in that. Uh, um, and so that's what we did and <laughs> things just kind of, kind of rolled from there. I mean, um, I never, at that age expected to, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't expect to uh, end up being a racer in the long term. but um, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with that competitive side of it, I think. And, and definitely helped that I had some success from, uh, from a younger age simply because I was a pretty decent skier. I mean, for sure, all that, that big mountain skiing we did and just learning how to rip up any, any terrain on the hill, um, helped and that's just that's just the basics right there yeah I you also grew up with such a good group of not just racers but skiers and I think that makes a huge difference like you had a huge group of boys and girls in Whistler but also just in BC like your BC team group was so stacked I mean so were some of the years after but I feel like yours was a really big year of um, like you and broad and, um, you know, all those guys. Yeah. It's kind of funny. We definitely had some, uh, some specific years that were really strong and others that didn't have a ton of people like the, the 95 year in Whistler was quite strong and well in, in BC in general, uh, then my brother's year and your year 97 also had a, had a great strong group. Um, it's kind of funny how that works, but yeah, Maybe your sure parents should have had more I, I would kids. attribute <laughs> you guys Katie, seem to be our, the common denominator yeah, it's a common denominator oh, yeah. you Great. said it not me <laughs> yeah. Those but I, I think hands down hands down that played a huge role in um, not only me enjoying the whole experience because it was a fun group to be with and we we pushed each other it was competitive but we were also just friends and out there having fun but um yeah, it just elevated the everybody's everybody's skiing. Um, I, I we had a we had quite a strong group in the Worcester Mountain Ski Club uh, in my first year fists still like you know but even by that age when you're we're 15 16 it's the numbers are definitely whittling down you know not there's I, I think there's quite a big drop off uh, when everybody gets to fists and it's time to decide if you're gonna really take the the sport more seriously but um we still had a pretty pretty big strong group at that point um and i remember the majority of our group being at the spring uh selection camp for bc team that uh, following that that uh first season of fists um which was really cool um and uh, of course not everybody made it but um i i still went on to the bc team and ended up having a group of guys for for the next three seasons that um again, we're super close. I mean, a, a bunch of them came, 
did come from the Worcester Mountain Ski Club, and uh, yeah, they're still it's still it's that that group of of um, friends that as you go on through life, it, it kind of doesn't it feels like it doesn't really matter how long you don't see each other for you you when you do hang out, it's kind of like no time went by, you know, like it's it's a yeah. cool um, cool bond for sure. Yeah, I I think that you guys had something really cool and. It was also cool to watch like how many of you kept making it to the next step, because I think that like very often, even if you have a talented group of kids, there's, it tends to dwindle pretty quickly. And I mean, if you look at even just my age group of girls as an example, like we had nine girls try out for the BC team my first year. And then that year we named seven and the next year we named three (laughs) and the next year there Mm -hmm. was two like and each year it just seems like uh it doesn't always go as like people don't always go on the same trajectory I guess so it was cool that your group kind of stuck together and maybe that was because you had such a like tight competitive bond as well well I think there's I think our sport has so many factors that go into um somebody actually making it and it is it's really hard to say for sure um i mean it's it's easy to say it's different for everybody um but to actually consider every little thing that goes into it is is quite hard you know some people just maybe get to a point where they feel like they, they might have outside pressures to to go to school instead and use their their sport uh to get a good scholarship or um just just maybe the the nature of the the grind of this lifestyle like uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sugarcoat it like there's a lot of hard work that goes into it and there's a lot of of tough days and you know you're away from home for so much of the year and um there's a lot of times where it's just it just kind of sucks to be honest but but it's like anything that you gotta you gotta work hard to reap the rewards. And, um, I think having a group like I did around me can make some of those things a lot easier, which is why it's so valuable. Just, just a lot of those little things that, uh, that are maybe not always the most fun. It makes it a lot easier when you're going through it with, uh, with a really solid group that, that makes it more fun. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's too bad that that's that's happened to a lot of the groups over the years but um and there's so much that that goes into it uh yeah it's a complicated I guess maybe i was just lucky that way yeah um do you remember your first like big result that really helped kind of convince you to keep on skiing hmm <laughs> that's a tough one uh like whistler cup i know a lot of people wise went off Whistler cup or things like that. I think if I went off Whistler cup, I probably would have been long gone by now. (laughs) I had a, I had a 10th place in the K (laughs) one Whistler cup and that was the best I ever did. Yes. So um, yeah, we're not, we're not going off of that. I never made, I never made team Canada. Um, Honestly, that's a good lesson for all the kids listening. Like, Broadster did not make Team yeah, Canada, so you got to be perseverant <laughs> to get through this sport. No, I didn't, but but absolutely, that was that was. I would still say that those years were were pretty crucial for me because um, 
I had, I did have some early success when I first came into racing, I would say. And then, um, I feel like at some point it did peter off a little bit and I went through those, those few years where, you know, I didn't, I didn't make team Canada and I, I saw everybody who was on my team who did go to team Canada and people that I were, um, that I was competitive with the rest of the year and, and the guys that I trained with. And, and I thought, you know, I'm just as good as these guys. I'm right there. And I'm why I haven't, I haven't had the, the results. And, um, it was, it was definitely a difficult couple of years. And I do remember, um, going, I think it was going into my second year of K2. So the, the year before I had to decide whether I go into this or not, um, and I had Jamie Finlayson as my coach and, up until this point, I had never gone to a summer training camp, um, like a on on snow glacier camp, and uh, I hadn't been I hadn't been selected for any of the the B two B camps they were putting on in the summer. Um, that was giving a lot of these other kids opportunities to ski in the off season and and um, get exposed to that. And he kind of helped guide me, I guess, through the process of of deciding whether I want to take the next step or not. And he, he came to us with, uh, he was the first coach I had, I, that with, I had personal national team experience and he kind of, um, instilled that, that sense of drive in me, I guess, like, do, do I want to take the, the next step? Do I want to, um, know what it takes to do that? And, that was the first off season that I went to uh, a camp in Mount hood. Um, and I, I just, I dedicated myself a lot more to it and I came back the next season and, and then the results started coming. And, you know, I think I was always a good skier through that, through that whole period, but um, maybe, maybe it was not consistent enough. Maybe I just didn't have the reps, you know, to like, to put it together every time on race day but I came back that next season and I, I had a lot of really good results. And it was funny because people were all of a sudden going, Oh man, who is this kid? Like he, he's not even a B2B kid. Like he didn't, he didn't, he was never on the <laughs> list of like the top athletes in our province or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, well, I was just on the outside watching that and, <laughs> and thinking, damn, I, I should be there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and I can be there. And, and yeah, that was, I would say it was more based on that whole experience than, um, than any specific result I can think of, uh, that, that kept me in it and kept me moving on to the next step. That's so cool. I really think that coaches or just athletes who have national team experience need to be more utilized by clubs and with younger kids, because, like, I feel like I went through a similar experience where you don't really understand what it takes to be a top level ski racer or even just a competitive fist ski racer, because it's such a weird sport that it's really hard to understand it unless someone with experience is like explaining it to yeah, you. Especially as, as North Americans. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly. Without West the culture. Coast kids. Like, yeah, it's so weird to think about now, considering we spend so many months in the summer in, you know, on a glacier in Europe or in South America or something to think back to those days when it was like, what are you talking about ski in the summer? Like it's summertime, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm going biking, you know, like what, 
it's so but that just wasn't we had no clue you know no yeah and and that's yeah for sure that's a huge uh difference in just where we come from like compared to the you know when we are at those glacier camps and Zermatt or Sasfe in the summer and you see like a million little kids mm-hmm. and I'm like Jesus you never <laughs> see this in in Canada like the, when I was that age I was like what are you talking about ski in the summer that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah I want to play <laughs> that's, games that's I want to go bike exactly yeah. Jeez. Yeah, crazy so you <laughs> made it the BC team after first year fist is that what you were saying yeah I did and you spent three years there before you made the national team and would you say, I mean, obviously to make the national team, you have to have some pretty great results <laughs> um, at Norams. And <laughs> I mean, did you race in Europe when you were on the national team? I mean, on the provincial team? Sorry. Yeah, actually, my first year on the provincial team uh, with Brandon Dykstrahouse, that was a big, that was a big um, objective of his with with our young group was to get us to Europe. Uh, that was my first, we went, we went that January of that season and, um, that was my first exposure to any racing in Europe. And I think he was onto something there because no doubt that was a huge eye opener for all of us who went on that trip. We had, we also Mm -hmm. just happened to have an absolutely insane month there. Like it was (laughs) dumping snow all over Europe and we were just chasing races. We drive you know, four hours to one place and then show up, the race would get canceled the next day. We'd hightail it somewhere <laughs> else. We'd try to squeeze in a little training here or there. We, we did something crazy. Like we slept in like 16 different beds in oh 21 God. nights or something like that. So nice. not only was this trip just a total gong show on its own, but we're experiencing this whole thing for the first time in Europe and th- I mean that's kind of actually how it is sometimes there so it totally is um, <laughs> yeah experiencing that and and showing or seeing for the first time how you know we could drive five hours and be up some little valley in Italy <laughs> and thinking like where the hell are we that we're in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden there's a little uh ski hill there with one run and you're like what what the hell race is this like this is so weird and then <laughs> you know what turns out there's 120 guys in the race and it's injected <laughs> and it's like every single person there is absolutely sending it like they're going to win the race and we show up and we're like holy crap what is this it was it was eye-opening for sure yes. and there yeah there was one uh one race we, we showed up for these uh two slalom days and it was the first time i had i had been on full injection like it was slick mm-hmm. and in those two days I skied, I think five gates. The first day I made it to the second gate, the, f- the next day I made it to the third gate. And, yes. and we, we had a hard look at ourselves after that race, those two races. Um, because I don't think any of us finished either day. So everybody either went out first round or second round. Um, and, uh, we, we decided, you know what, we're going to actually not go chasing more races over the next couple of days. We're going to stay here for a couple of days and just train on this because this is whack. Like we have yeah. never seen anything like this. So yeah, that was that whole trip in general was, um, was pretty cool. And then the, I thought an interesting thing was that that same season after that, in that spring, we did, um, I did my, a bunch of my first uh, racing out in the Eastern States and I saw, I feel like I saw a lot of the same stuff out there. 
like mm-hmm. just more competitive, more stacked fields, or I guess I should say more, more depth. Um, and I think that, that was, that was interesting to see too, how that is um, even just across our, our continent on the other side where, where the culture uh, is a little bit different around the, the sport. I think it, it feeds into that a lot as well. Like there, it just did seem like there was a lot more, more depth and kind of the, in the same way as Europe, how it, seemed like every guy in the race was just absolutely sending it as hard as they could. Like they're going to win the thing. And that was, that was the the most valuable thing that we, we took back from it, I think. Yeah. I mean, when there's not 30 centimeters of powder every other weekend, like in Whistler, you probably take ski racing a little more seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure going to be one of the biggest (laughs) challenges there too. Yeah. Europe is crazy. I, I do not think club kids or just younger fit athletes understand how important experience in Europe is because like if your first European experience is in, I don't know, a Europa cup or world juniors or something like that is a huge slap to the face because it's Mm -hmm. so different. Just so many more people. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's yeah. I wish but like, how do you, how do you instill that? You know, I know. <laughs> I, I get, I still get the opportunity, like the odd day here or there to, to ski with the club kids uh, at home in Whistler. I wish I had time to do it more. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we're never there these days. Um, but yeah, and you, you can see, they just don't have the same, they don't, they don't get it the way the Europeans do from a young age. Like it's yeah. just, it's more of a social thing. And, and, but like, how do you, how do you instill that in somebody? You can't just be like, ah, you know, you yes. can't be the drill sergeant. You got to take this seriously. Ah. Like the, I don't know. I think you just, you have to make it fun. You have to make it a fun, healthy, competitive environment and, and hope that they, I guess, develop the, the drive to, yeah. to get there on their own. I um, do think making it know. fun is, important though because think about how many times you've had horrible results or you've just been in the biggest slump and if you hadn't like grown up with those core memories of ski racing being really fun I don't think I would have made it this far because otherwise it's just miserable like <laughs> I don't mm. know maybe that's no, just I agree. me but... <laughs> I, and I I think back to um well times that people have asked me what my my best memory is in the sport or just what, what was the most, one of the most fun times I had. And, um, it's all, it's never a, at a, at a, it's never like the skiing part, you know, I mean, it might yeah. be skiing, but it's, it's always something that happened on the Hill, uh, with my buddies or, or <laughs> like apex, apex fist or downhill series in my, in my first year fist. Um, when it just snowed like 60 centimeters, I think we, we, had a bunch of canceled days. We might've got one race off, but I don't even remember. I just remember building jumps in the backyard <laughs> with all my buddies and like trying to send backflips and jumping off the balcony into, into <laughs> two meters of snow and skiing pal. Like, you know, the, yeah. it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the racing. It was the, the guys there and the, and the good times and for sure. Yeah. I agree with you. That, that um, is important. Yeah. So now that you're living in Europe full-time racing and you've had, you've had some success over the years in world cup. I mean, you came fourth in Cortina last year. Am I not mistaken? Mm-hmm. <laughs> world yeah, champs. Well, champs. Fourth. Ooh, ooh. 
Um, <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, and then, four hundies off a of, off oh. of metal that would have. Your time's coming. Of, well, the metal is coming. You look at it either way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, how sure. do you find it hard to like have that type of result and then have? I mean, so, you've had unreal results this year too in Super G, and then to have races where you either like are just out of the top 30 or even like not even close. Do you find that a hard thing to kind of grasp with for your confidence? Like I've, you know, you can be in the top five. So is that hard to kind of balance when you don't do as well? Yeah. I mean, well, confidence is <laughs> a fickle thing. Who has confidence? Um, and <laughs> What is confidence? <laughs> I definitely tend to be the kind of person who who takes confidence from evidence, and whether that's whether that's just some good days in training or good races, results, whatever. I I like to be able to like see it in some way, you know, that I'm making mm-hmm. progress in my skiing, and all oh, this is good. This makes me feel confident because I I can see that this is going to pay off, and I'm. I'm do I'm working really hard to move away from that because I think um I think that can be really detrimental if you if you just rely too much on results to then gain your confidence. Yeah. Um because if they're if they're not coming, you know, if you if I if I come 31st, which I have a few times this season, <laughs> <laughs> and there might have been a lot of good skiing in that run. There might have been a lot of good sections or splits on that course, but one mistake or one one section where I did something and just couldn't carry the speed through there or whatever. Um, you know, there might be plenty of good stuff going on, but if I if I just let the fact that the result at the end of the day was not what I wanted uh destroy my confidence, then um where does that leave me? Like what sort of position am I in to to do well in the next race? Um so I'm I'm doing, I'm working really hard to, uh, to move away from that sort of results-based confidence and figure out what it takes for me to, to be confident, um, without that. And, um, yeah, for sure. It's been, it's been up and down this season. Uh, yeah. I mean, our, <laughs> the sport at the, at this level in general, you know, like, like you said, uh, I know I have the potential to be top five, but it is like a crazy competitive uh field in in uh on the men's speed side um so yeah it does seem does it seem like world cups are tighter this year i swear there has not been a top kind of does it's like more than two seconds out it's unbelievable yeah we've definitely we've definitely had a lot of tight ones and then you know uh valgardana super g for example you know it was pretty pretty sender course not a whole lot to it and uh margins were super tight i can't remember where the mm-hmm. top 30 was but i just know that i was in 13th and um if i was like two tenths faster i would have had a i would have had my first top 10 but <laughs> you could look at it the other way if i was like two tenths slower i would have been 25th and i wouldn't have been happy at all about that and we're talking about tenths of a second here like it's yeah it's crazy so um you can't can't rely too much on that but yeah for sure i will say uh i've been working hard to to figure that out a little bit because um you know if if i'm really honest at the moment uh i do just have i feel like i have more confidence on my super g skis than on my downhill skis and Mm -hmm. i cannot even figure out what that is like to me it's not (laughs) that different 
and I don't know why that's a thing. Um, and, and it's been a bit of a battle this, this season in downhill feeling like in the off season, I did make some really valuable gains and there, and I, I think I moved the, I, I think I closed the gap in a few places that I, that I really wanted to address this summer. Um, for instance, with my gliding and stuff like that, that's, I've, I've, I've always been a pretty strong technical skier, but I've struggled a little bit on the, the gliding side and, um, with flatter courses and stuff like that. And I, I feel like I did make good strides in those areas in the off season. Um, so to come into the the season feeling like that, and then I'm in downhill this year, I've, I've been like 31st, 32nd, a whole bunch of times just outside yeah. the points and all a bunch of races where, where there was a lot of good stuff going on, but maybe one crucial mistake or something like that. So to feel like I was coming in in a good place and then, and then not really have it pay off yet. Yeah. Part of me wants to tear my hair out a little bit, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's normal. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I, I, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I mean, obviously I'm not going to be satisfied with that, but, uh, that doesn't mean I'm going to throw the plan out the window either. I think there's still, there's still a lot of good going on and there's still, a lot of potential. So, um, yeah, just doing my best to, to find that confidence, bring it together, those things. <laughs> um, yeah, and bring it together, bring it together on race day. Well, we've talked a lot about your skiing and I feel like you've shared a lot of insight into how you kind of grew up, but also how you're managing ski racing now. So you did the helmet for hope this year, which was, I mean, maybe you can explain it because I know the gist of it, but I feel like it's better coming from you because you're the one who created it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Helmet for hope uh, was the, 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 okay, well, start from the beginning. My, my dad has been battling ALS for the last nine years or so. That's where my, my connection to, uh, uh, this cause, um, stems from. And for a long time, really, I've been, I've been trying to think of some way that I could do something impactful for the ALS society, um, raise some money, raise some awareness, whatever that may be. And, it had, it had just been sort of in the back of my mind for a long time. And uh, a big part of my motivation actually came from something Riley did uh, a couple of years ago in right when the season finished, we, we actually basically drove home from spring camp and camera was the next day or two days later, but like very quick turnaround. He ran the, the half marathon in Vancouver with my right. uncle and they ran in support of ALS and of every, every uh, team who ran in support of, of, uh, of ALS, their, their team raised the most money. So they, they, uh, were kind of recognized for that. And yeah, it was cool. Like they they kind of made it a competition, like, come on, we're going to raise more money than everybody else. It's so um, cool. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. Like he did, yeah, he, they did something about Mm -hmm. it. You know, they, they found a, a cool way to, to actually do something. And that, for sure sparked me a little bit, but I, I just had this in the back of my mind for a little while. And then at some point this summer, um, I had this idea for helmet helmet for hope come to me about, uh, using, using my 
helmet to to display some custom artwork uh, throughout the season. And I just had to figure out how am I going to combine this like as a fundraising effort and make it something cool that people actually feel involved with or, mm-hmm. or a little bit invested in. And I thought maybe a competition would be a cool way to do that. Um, <laughs> Nothing you know, like getting some ski people, racers people to have, compete. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, anybody, anybody who's, who's got a little artistic side, uh, it was, it was, yeah, totally, totally open to anyone. Um, and I, I, I had no idea whether this was going to work to be completely honest, because I thought it's not, you know, it's not, the, I, I made, I, uh, actually had Courtney make me some, uh, templates of the helmet on, uh, on, um, Photoshop, which is awesome. <laughs> and, uh, I thought, okay, but how, how realistic is this? The, like, what sort of participation am I going to get? Um, people need to figure out how to, whether they print it off and draw on it, or if they have the software on the, their computer to make a design, um, like how realistic is this that, that people are going to be able to do this easily uh, and how much engagement is there going to be? And I thought, you know what, to, to hell with it. I, I, I had no idea if this, this idea was going to work, but eventually I thought, screw it. I'm going for it. I'm just going to, I'm going to commit to this and just try to pump it up as much as I can get people to share it and, and just try to make it successful by, by putting it out there as much as I can. And I was so surprised how, (laughs) well, first of all, how quickly it came together and then how great the response was and, and how many, how many people were, stoked and they shared it and they said oh i know so-and-so who's artsy and they'd love to do it and mm-hmm. um it was it was great to have the the support of haywood behind it as well uh because i was i was actually i chatted with with bernard quite a bit um to figure out the logistics of this of this uh whole competition and i i was thinking you know maybe a few hundred bucks as prize money and he's like oh no no, you need, let's, let's put up a thousand for it. Like, you need some good, good prize money for this. I'm incentive. like, holy smokes. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. You need some incentive. Um, so awesome to have that, that support behind it as well. Um, and, uh, and the support of, of Tim Detells, the chair of the board of Alpine Canada, that was also huge. He, uh, mm-hmm. he put up $5,000 of matching, uh, matching funds for the, for the donation side of it. And, um, this all, this all came together. First of all, this was, this was a Thanksgiving. This was right before Thanksgiving weekend in October. And I was flying right after Thanksgiving weekend to Austria for, for another camp. So Mm -hmm. I figured this out on like Wednesday and by Friday I had a website and I had spoken (laughs) to the ALS society and I had a thousand dollars prize money and five thousand dollars matching matching funds um I think this all happened so fast and then i was on a plane to europe and i <laughs> i posted the the video to take it live um the day that i got to europe it was it was just totally crazy how fast it came together so i was i was definitely a little like stressed about how it would go and then whenever when everybody was was excited about it and and shared Mm -hmm. it around and i started getting um getting submissions coming in i was like whoa this is cool this is actually working out really well um and uh i'm thinking 
maybe I need to make this an annual thing because I uh, think so. yeah. it worked out. It worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So you're wearing Tira Columbine was the winner, right? Yes, Tira was the winner. Um, it was, yeah, it's pretty cool. That I, I got so many, uh, so many unique takes on the on the design I, I i did have to put out some uh some criteria you know i wanted it to of course feature the the color purple um and and i thought why not a blue cornflower too because that's the the symbol of als or that's the flower of als and um yeah so many really cool unique designs and yeah all sorts of stuff from from hand drawn to to professionally done with computer software and um you know that that wasn't important it was the it was the concept behind it yeah. uh and tears i think was what there was there was a lot of great ones but tears did a, just did a great job hitting all the all the marks and really um encompassing the theme as gorgeous gorgeous design um and cool that it was somebody who with a history in ski racing as well, who's kind of transitioning into, to a design career. So, um, very excited that I could support that. And then, uh, yeah, on the, on the fundraising side, you know, with that, with that $5,000 matching, uh, matching money, I thought, I didn't really know what to say as a goal, but I thought, okay, if we can double this, we can at least match this and get to 10 grand. That would be awesome. And then, to see where it ended up, you know, it's, it was, um, I can't remember how long ago I checked it, but it was at like 17,000 or something like that. It did way, way better than, uh, than I thought. And, you know, global news got, got, uh, interested in, in sharing the story. And then that made a whole bunch more donations pour in. It was just, it was a really special experience to see how, how much love there was for, for the whole thing. And, um, yeah. it's definitely a, very special helmet yeah i think that you and your brother have done a really good job of showing how athletes can be more than just athletes like you guys took a situation and a cause that was very personal to you and close to your heart and you showed people that if you're willing to like put yourself out there in a way that maybe you aren't super confident in or comfortable sharing that you're going to kind of create a different, a new community. And um, yeah, I think it's really cool that you guys used your athletic platforms to kind of bring attention to a different type of um, cause. It's not super common. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, <laughs> that's something for important for people to, to hear as well that, um, you know, I, I think honestly, one of the things that, that may be, uh, was stopping me for a long time or, or maybe just one of the reasons why I didn't do something earlier was because a part of me sort of felt like I wasn't big enough yet to really make any sort of difference. You know, I don't, it's not like I have a massive platform. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a superstar athlete. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you are. Come um, on. You're lots of kids. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah i hope so although i love that <laughs> but um yeah i think i think uh i realized that uh, you don't you don't need to necessarily have some massive platform already it's it's not it's not how big your voice is it's it's how you use it yeah
So I, that's what I, what I did. And, and then I think it, it works, you know, when you, when you, when you share something that you are passionate about um, and people, people can see that, then it inspires them to, to share it as well. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's what I wanted this, this helmet to be about when I wear it uh, all season long, all over the world. I mean, it's a, it's a bright purple helmet. You don't see too many of those. And <laughs> that's uh hopefully a conversation starter yeah i i think it is and you guys have definitely proven that it's you gotta shoot shoot or shoot right you gotta shoot your shots shoot baby (laughs) (laughs) you'll never make any type of wave if you don't try so i think that it was really cool what you guys well i mean you with the helmet and your brother with his half marathon yeah, I just think it's very cool. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to hear that story because I think a lot of athletes are too afraid that either they're going to be judged for trying to make a change in the world other than athletics, or they just don't feel like they have the big enough platform. So you nailed the nail on the head. That was. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. yeah well i appreciate you spending this much time with me i want you to go get ready for kitzbühel because that's like the scariest track ever so don't want to take up any more of your time but thank you so much brody i heard it's gonna be i heard it's gonna be smooth this year (laughs) oh god it's gonna be smooth no (laughs) jumps (laughs) it's gonna be wild but that's how we like it i'll be cheering for (laughs) you yeah thank you I appreciate uh, appreciate all this. I'm really glad that Brody decided to come on the show because as you guys heard, he has a pretty unique story. And I think that it's really great that he was able to share kind of his own insecurities about starting a campaign for Helmet for Hope and not really believing that his platform was big enough, but then just realizing that at the end of the day, any platform is big enough if you're willing to try. Brody was actually just officially selected for the Canadian Olympic team for Beijing. So we're wishing him all the best at the Olympics and praying for good results and an awesome experience because he really deserves to be there and he has clearly put in the work. So We can't wait to watch him, but thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure to tune in every week for new episodes and cool new conversations with interesting people. So I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.